So just three days into phase three of OTAs for the New York Jets. And to say there's drama would be an understatement. What's up, Jets fans? Welcome to another edition of Jet Nation Live. We are your hosts, Dylan Terriman and Glenn Naughton. Like I said right at the top, drama after only three days of practice. We're going to dive right into it. And we also have a special guest, uh, Van Halen historian and author, author of Van Halen Rising, Greg Renoff. He's a Jets fan. You probably know him from Twitter. Um, his bio says multi-decade victim of the New York Jets, and hopefully we're we're going to be on the upswing of changing that. But before I introduce him, how are we doing tonight, Glenn? Uh, I'm doing great. You know, OTA's underway. You know, like you said, we, there can never be anything without a little bit of drama. Um, but really excited to have Greg on. Um, you know, engaged with him quite a bit on Twitter over the years about the Jets and rock music and stuff like that. Um, so great to get him on, talk a little bit. Uh, check out his books, Van Halen Rising. Uh, and also uh, Ted Templeman, uh, music produ- a music producer's life in music, Van Halen Rising, how a Southern rock or a Southern California band uh, saved rock and roll. Just uh, great Jet fan and great music fan. So really a perfect guy to have on. Yeah. And like you said, it's probably not going to be strictly Jets. We're going to get into some music talk at the end for sure. So and listen, it, it's, it's getting it's to that the- time of year where we're going to throw in a couple of random topics. 100%. You know, there's only so much we're going to talk more about the draft picks. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. so we're going to we'll have an episode where we spend a few minutes on some of our favorite books and whatever jokes, movies, comedians. It's It's that time of year, folks. Exactly. It's kind of replacing our draft segment until we dive deeply into 2024. But Without further ado, let's bring him on, Greg Renoff. What's Greg, up, guys? How you Not much. How, how yeah, are you? Greg. Thanks for joining. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Greg. It's been a while, you know. As I said uh, at the top, I've been hoping to get you on for a little while now and uh, and get your thoughts on the Jets. And, and you know, maybe we were just waiting for a time when, when we had a quarterback worth talking about. Um, you know, obviously Aaron Rodgers, the big story this offseason, uh, you know, how does how in, in your mind, you know, is this a thing where you, you think this vaults the Jets into Super Bowl contention um, or do you think it makes them sort of a, a, a team that is, is a team that can make a playoff push? But do you think there's still some pieces they need to enter the Super Bowl conversation? Well, uh I'll, I'll throw a little uh, humor into the mix that, that you'll appreciate. I think, Glenn, is that uh, I thought Neil O'Donnell was going to get us over the top and get us to the Super Bowl. So, you know, it's like all about the uh, the perspective on your your history as a Jets fan. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, the last decade has been uh, a little challenging to be a Jets fan and to have a guy who has come in and by all accounts has really changed the culture already and has really kind of. I don't know, shook the complacency out of a lot of guys maybe who just were, you know, not used to having a vet presence like that in the locker room. No offense to Flacco or anyone else who's been around, but clearly this is a, a person who has a different stature in the league, a different charisma, a different record. Um, you know, it look, it really is. It's set up to be, if you don't get to, you know, to the Super Bowl, it probably is seen as a failure of a season. I mean, that's the reality. That's, that's the expectation. I mean, you know, I, I really enjoy – you know, I don't do too much Jet stuff on Twitter. I do some back and forth to people, but um, I leave that to the big boys out there. We own the usual suspects who really do a good job on that. And it's like people are already gunning for the Jets. It's already like it's actually kind of amusing. It's like, you know, like people like casting hate at Rogers and, you know, already like, you know, conspiring to say the Jets are going to win three games this year. So it's, you know, this is it. This is this is it. I mean, maybe there's two years. But to me, you, you can't you, you can't come out of this season 
you know, with a wild a loss in a wild card game or something like that and think like, oh, we, we did something. You did nothing, basically, except spend, spend a bunch of money and, you know, um, not get there. Yeah, it, it's funny. That seems to be a, a, a divisive point. Um, I mean, well, what isn't with the Jets? Everything that the, the color of the uniforms is a divisive point. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm in that camp where you, you, you've opened up a window where you do something special or it's a fail. You know, but um, there is I, I've literally seen people like who have said, you know, Aaron Rodgers makes us a playoff contender. I'm like, no, Ryan Tannehill makes you a playoff contender. You know, that that's not you didn't go out and get Aaron Rodgers. Right. And win a playoff no, I agree. Game, you know, completely different ball game. Yeah. So uh, right. I think you're right. It, it's got to be something special. It can't be a play. We've had playoff games. We had playoff wins. You know, it, it's got to be more than that. And it's got to be bigger. So. Where, you know, we'll, we'll see where it takes us. But great point with, you know, I mentioned this with um, I can't remember, Dylan, if it was with you. I know I mentioned it with Scott. I can't remember if it was his show or our show. But I was saying how it's funny that we're already seeing fans who are um, already, like like the the excuses that you make before you play a good team. Like they're already making them now about the Jets. Oh, the, the Jets got an advantageous schedule and they're going to be so well rested it's unfair right. and it's conspiracy it's like wow people are making jets <laughs> excuses before the season starts like, yep. you don't generally see right. that right yeah normally we're, we're the team doing that making the excuses as we see the schedule like well you know we have hard teams where we could pass up for eight and eight yeah, nine and look, seven looking whatever at ways that the deck you feel like the deck is stacked against you like oh exactly and when you're bad the deck kind of is like not that the league's doing it but you do see like the doom and gloom in every opponent when you don't have a quarterback um right. but yeah you know there's a and, lot and of teams to, go ahead. to greg's point i was gonna say we're just new york has always been under the microscope and then you add a player like aaron Rodgers, who brings mm -hmm. his own headlines from whether it's on or off the field and you're just going to intensify that microscope so to speak so i'm not surprised that any of this has transpired over the past three days in otas i mean you you can have your take on the um the air rogers injury and we're definitely going to get into that i kind of lean to the <laughs> side of you know what he didn't care for all those mass media people coming to see him he's just gonna tweak a calf in practice and you know what he'll be out there next week when less media members are there right. and everybody came out for a big hoopla for Aaron Rodgers they saw 15 minutes of conditioning and and wrapped it up so they got to see Zach Wilson up close in person but yeah I always I agree the microscope is always going to be under the Jets yeah and look it's it's uh it's been refreshing to see the plan come together again I, I you know Glenn I know that you were you were kind of a car guy and I think on paper I probably was too I thought like it's a lot to give up to get a quarterback that you know I I think that the Jets with Carr are, are a team that had Super Bowl potential I really do think that um Rodgers is 100%. I think a better quarterback I mean the age thing aside but the the the, the cost to give up the, the picks and everything and of course then the the along with the salary was a big a big um it's a big risk I mean but the, you know that's another thing I'd like to maybe touch on with you guys at some point is like you know to me looking at the coaching staff and looking at the general manager I mean people are saying things like I hear like oh you know if, they, if the Jets don't make the playoffs it's like you got to fire Sala and, and I'm just thinking to myself are you crazy like I don't like I don't think he's been perfect and there's things he's done wrong but like compared to what we've had in the last decade I mean this is this guy is like by far the best coach you know free agents want to come play for him I mean you heard Rogers say like I wanted to play for this guy if we had like again you know God rest his soul. He's he's gone off to wherever he's gone off to, to his, his re retirement. But you know, if he had Adam Gase, there's no chance Rodgers would want to play here, no matter how much money or or, or what. He would never have come here. Nope. So you know, so that's the thing. It's like I think people, you know, again, I'm. It's going to be a failure if they don't make it to the Super Bowl, or or again, like you know, maybe 
you know, the championship game, something like you think like that would be like maybe like we're just at the doorstep. But, you know, I think all things considered, the whole body of work of Rogers, excuse me, of uh, Sala and this GM has been has been generally good and much better than we've had. I mean, I people like I mean, you look back, it's been a disaster in a lot of ways. Last a lot of things that have happened from the, the GM down to the coaches. I don't want you know, I'll let you guys in, but to me, it's like I'm not out on those guys. If they, you know, if they win nine games this year, you know, I'm not out. Eight games, I'm not out. I mean, you know, I just there would have to be extenuating circumstances to say, look, this happened. It couldn't be like a Karun meltdown or something catastrophic in terms of that type of thing. But like, I'm in. You know, I'm in for like, you know, like a just let it let it ride with these guys for a few years. Yeah, I think I think as far as that goes, I, I the the people I hate when people put like I, I hate win predictions in a sense that you know or or you know fan fan mandated playoff mandates oh if they don't do this you have to fire them if they don't win this man and i'm like how do you say that you you have no idea how this is going to unfold if 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 you lose you know if you're if you're in week 17 playing for a playoff spot like let's say Rodgers misses some weeks and you steal a few wins with a backup quarterback against quality opponents and then you you missed the playoffs on say a blown call at the whistle you're then going to fire Robert Sala because like a replay shows that the refs missed the call and that's why you lost the game and now you're going to fire the guy who almost got you there with having to have Zach Wilson or somebody like a, a Teddy Bridgewater under center for a chunk of time if they get a guy like Bridgewater and that that's a topic we'll touch on later Greg but one thing I wanted to ask you, because you mentioning Neil O'Donnell reminds you that we've probably been fans for about the same amount of time. Um, you may, I think you may predate me a little, but we're in that same ballpark. Um, and so mm-hmm. we've both seen a lot of the same ups and downs. You mentioned what a tough duck decade this has been. And when you said that, anytime someone talks about these past 10 years and even with Dylan, even you don't have to have watched this team as long as we did. Like we all know how rough the Adam Gase years were. And you mentioned sure. Adam Gase. Like for me personally, even though you can say Kotite's worse, I, I think I think when, when that debate takes place, I understand Kotite probably was worse, but I have so much disdain for Adam Gase. I'm like, no, he was the worst. Like, I don't want to hear it. But Kotite in a lot of ways really was. Um, Gase did some things that were as dumb as Kotite did, though. Um, but w- was that for you, Greg? Because me, the Adam Gase years were the low point, my low point as a fan. Like I, I've never, I never before did I think to myself, like I'm I like before he was fired, I was like, I really have to consider not watching next year. Like, this is bad for my mental health watching this team and watching this guy. I want to, you know, I want to put my foot through my television every week. And to me, the Gase years were the low point of my, what, 35, 36 years, however I've been watching. Yeah. I think what was interesting is that I, I um, you know, I remember so vividly, I was actually talking to Scott Mason back and forth on by text message or by Twitter or something. And um, uh, Carton, uh, Carton and Roberts were on. I remember so vividly, like they were talking about the coaches and then somebody, I mean, I mean, I think Robert said like Adam Gase and like, you know, Carton, I don't have to go through the thing, but you can imagine they were like, no way, no way, no way. And then it was like, almost like, it was like the slow motion train wreck. It was like, they're talking to Gase. You know, Gase has been plugged by Manning. And I was like, you know, you can't be doing this. I mean, you just can't, you cannot legitimately, but I think it was, a, I think of like a musical chair thing and they were like worried they were going to be out and then they lost whatever they were down to, whoever they were down to. And then of course, when like Peyton Manning says, oh, you're the guy, but it, it was extremely fun because I, uh, so many reasons I, I would think 
the thing is we, we will never know with with um Darnold what would have been what might have been with different different coaching I mean obviously he had you know three different I think three different offensive coordinators the whole nine yards and again the body of work is the body of work guys overcome bad circumstances and become better players and um but then to have like a guy who would who really looked like it, especially the end of that rookie year when he battled Rodgers down to the wire and had those four games at the end of his his rookie year meaning Darnold really like so much hope that he was actually going to turn the corner and then have it just go so so bad and then that was that was incredibly demoralizing. I, you know, the one quick thing I'll say is about the, the Gase years. This dates me a little bit too. I was in graduate school. Excuse me, not Gase. The um, coach I years. I was in graduate school, so it was like 1995, 96. I was in graduate school, so there was no direct TV. There was no. There were Jets were never on TV. It's Mississippi, no. right? You you would see a Falcons games. If you wanted to go watch football, yep. you'd have to go watch a Falcons game at a bar or something, or like on TV. So I never saw a Jets game the whole year. I would get the New York Times was a paper that you could get a New York paper in Mississippi. And I would read it. I just read these statistics and I would just be like, you know, it was just, so I actually was kind of like, I had like a buffer between me. I didn't like probably not as frustrated as what a few who watched it. Like I couldn't watch it. Right. Um, so Gase was worse for, in that standpoint of like actually watching. And it was just, you know, it was just, you know, the, you felt like sometimes you see people in life, you're like, you're making a bad decision and you're not, you know, you know, sometimes it turns out okay, but a lot of times you have a gut feeling, this is a really bad decision. You try to tell them like, this is a bad decision. And it's like, I guess no one could tell Christopher Johnson, you're making a bad decision. You're making a bad decision. This is the wrong hire. You know, this is the wrong hire, but I think that he just panicked and like, was like, I got to I got to hire somebody. And this is the guy. And you know, just certainly like, (sighs) I think the Manning input played a huge role. And I think right now Dylan is in awe at how old you and I are. These guys guys were alive in a time where you had to read about the games in the newspaper. (laughs) A hundred percent. Yeah. I actually was in Florida at the time, but I would, um, I I used to go to a sports bar because it it was, that was the only way to, to watch. But, um, yeah, that was, I remember tweeting, because, you know, you've been around long enough to know, Greg, like the way the media plays these games. And sometimes teams will do a favor for a player or a coach and put their name out there as someone they're interested in. And that was my exa- – I think it was Albert Breer who was the first person to tweet that the Jets were interested in Adam Gase. And I tweeted out, this is clearly a favor to Gase's agent. Like he is not a serious consideration. And then right. it happened. And I was like, he's literally – like there was like 15 candidates. He was the only guy I looked at went, no way they're hiring that guy. When I first, sorry, Dylan, I interrupted. No, you're fine. When I first um, reached out to Jet Nation and started writing for the site, um, one of my first things that I had to write about was the coaching search that led to Adam Gase. And right as I was about to submit it, you know, all the candidates, I think there was, like you said, a bunch of them, close to 10 I covered in like a short synopsis. We got the Gase news. And I was like, oh no, like I had to tongue in cheek, go add his paragraph into the bottom of the thing. And I was like, (laughs) I don't want this guy, keep him away knowing that this was going to happen. And yep. then I remember like it, it, we all knew it was just going to be bad and we didn't expect it to be as bad as it was. I and mean, I just how remember that opening presser. You oh, yeah. lost everybody from minute one of, of that press conference and you never were able to get it back. Not a redeeming moment or a, you know, a gelling team moment for everybody to just hang their hat on like, okay, maybe it could work. And We knew it probably wasn't going to be a one and done, but we all knew it should have been at a minimum one and done. They don't really fire in season coaches, but like it should have been the first time they did. Yeah, and look, and to bring it all full circle again, this is what I'm saying about with Salah. I don't. I'm not even comparing Salah to Gaze. I'm just saying like it. it Like it means like just in terms of like where we've been as coaches. I mean, I just mean insofar as like I'm not saying like. 
anyone at this point really with when it would be you and Gase. It could be a middle of that guy and be like, oh, yeah, he's much better than Gase, obviously, right? Anybody. But, I mean, for anybody to say, like, we should fire this coach and then go out there and, like, roll the dice on somebody again. And, again, you know, I have no idea. Sala five years from now could turn out to be, like, a guy who just never got over the hump and maybe he was not the guy. But, like, just some what I've seen in terms of, especially the middle of last season, how he had those guys playing with, look, again, with, like, very – mediocre quarterback play like Zach had his moments and stuff like that but it was clearly you know you're not you don't have a franchise quarterback you don't even like even like a like a Tannehill type of guy on the team and you're out there and you're six and two you're rolling you're like surprising all these teams the energy is unbelievable and again you know just to say like that wasn't sort of a a sense of what this guy has in him you know I think is is people are crazy anyone who wants to like again I'm all in on on uh solid It, it long term that could be could be wrong but just to think about like you try to start over and how we've seen it like oh you know these guys get introduced it's like this is the new, you know new guy and like it's no it's like it's just you know one guy after another who's just not up to the job and i think the fact that you know someone like rogers especially like he's like i want to play for this guy guy making millions he could like do what he could do every week he could retire he'd like stay in green bay and like you know just mail it in or whatever he was like i want to go play for this guy i'm excited to play for this guy i mean that's a hall of famer that's a Hall of Famer guy saying, I want to play for this coach who, who again, look, hasn't won a Super Bowl. Hasn't won shit. Let's be honest. He hasn't won shit. You know, mm-hmm. NFL run is terrible. But for everybody to be like, I want, I've won, you know, in this league. I have a Super Bowl ring. I'm a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm top five quarterback conversation to say, I want to play for this coach. I mean, what else do you need is like an endorsement, you know, like just be like, this guy obviously gets pl- going to get players focused on the right thing and, and has the right energy to, to win. Yeah, and you, I think you keep bringing back memories of all these coaching search articles that I had to write. And Sala was my number one choice when it came to like realistic candidates. I know like Bill Cowher was floated out there for like 72 hours at sure, his watch as a diehard right. Jets fan. Right. So I was like, okay, yeah, let's do the dream pick. But Sala was right there as number one. And then I had Wink Martindale as number two. So maybe a little bit of my bias is going into this decision. But no, like there's probably nothing that Sala could do outside of like punching Woody Johnson on the field of play on a Sunday that like really could get him fired in my opinion. And like, it goes to beyond the field, like what he has done with his coaching staff to gel with the front office and the scouts and be able to, you know, get players that fit this scheme. I think that's the the clear difference from the, the Gase era years is that we had no direction with what McCagnan and he were trying to do, even what he and Joe Douglas were trying to do. It just never was, was fitting together and all of a sudden you see this coming together of coaching staff and front office scouts and getting the right players right free agents into place that can actually win with your team and that's exactly what they're going to prove they can do so you don't get a um you don't get a a a statement like i love working with robert if this is an adam gase or a todd bowles type of led team i so i completely agree sala is is the determining factor in this team. And I think those who are still doubting him need to just, you know, put aside the clock management issues. I think that's going to come over time when he's on the field trying to use his timeouts properly. But other than that, it's really hard to sit down and and find a lot of flaws in his coaching ability. Like you said, players want to play for this guy. And I think that is a one on the list of things that when they mention Sala, it's always in a positive light and vice versa. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I want to hear what you say, Glenn, but I just think, yeah, I mean, for me, so I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds. I think, like, everyone has to take a long look at themselves if they don't make it to the Super Bowl or, like I said, like a 
you know, last last quarter loss in a championship game or something like that. You have to look at yourself. But like, I think compared to where we've had what we've had, I'm just like, yeah, I'm like, oh, you know, let me just bring up two words for you. Corn Ferry. Do we want Corn Ferry picking the next GM like we had? Like, I mean, like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's I mean oh and it, it goes to show you how oh desperate God. this team got like I mean look obviously it blew up in their faces but at the time I mean there's a lot of revisionist history but people were actually excited about the you know Casterly and Wolf coming in to help with the GM I don't think anybody was excited about Corn Ferry that was like who are these guys you know it was you just didn't even know who they were um it was one of those things. I, I almost, yeah, right. on the one hand, it's it's embarrassing that it got to that, but at the other, at the same time, I'm like, I kind of respect the fact that they realize, like, look, we keep screwing this up. Let's try something different, you know. Right. So it's like, right. it's it's right. the at least you realize you're screwing it up, but obviously, Corn Ferry did as bad a job as the Jets ever did. So that's why, that's why they never re-entered the equation. So it, it's look, it's been a lot of bad times. I think Salah, you know, for me, um, Salah was a guy. I didn't – the inexperience worried me. And that's like they, they keep hiring guy after guy after guy after guy with no experience. Totally fair. Um, you know, but then he is a guy, and I think anyone would agree to this. This isn't, this isn't me lying because he's the coach now and I, and I like the guy. But when I knew nothing about him other than he was, you know, outgoing on the sideline, when I watched him in interviews, right. I was like, this dude really is impressive. Like you can tell he's got this sort of – this team vision, this, this accountability and – you know, but like praising guys when they need to be praised. And I don't know, right. he seemed to have a really good mix. So, you know, from in terms of what he will do as a football coach, I mean, we can all guess, but if he's never done it, we don't know. You know, that's why I always think it's funny when, right. when they right. hire a guy it, like Salah. Yeah, he was a rock star, but he did kind of come from nowhere. You know, he was like a guy not many people were talking about to like, now everybody wants him. And it's like, well, and, and, you know, there's the concern with, well, yeah, he was good, but we saw the weapons he had, you know, the defensive weapons he had to work with, you know, was it him or the players? And now we're seeing that, like, he's he's got his stuff together. He's not perfect. Most coaches are. And that's part of it, Greg, that, right. you know, we're, we're having this conversation about people that want to fire Robert Sala. But how many coaches, how many great coaches, you know, got fired too early? You know, I mean, sometimes the firing right. helps. Guys take a step back. They reflect. Right. How could I have done better? This, that, the other. But I'm I'm on board with what you're saying. Keep these guys around. Joe Douglas. You know, I don't. I think his off season is one that there. There's a lot of. I think there's some good discussions to be had about that. That's something we'll probably do on a future episode. Um, and and for where the Jets are right now, like, and that let's kind of have a part of that conversation now. Um, what looking at this roster? Is there anyone out there that you look at and say, or even just a position? That you look at and say, man, I know the Jets feel they're feeling good about themselves right now, but they should probably add something here or this player or, you know, whether it's depth at safety or or a starter at safety. Like, where are the holes on this roster, as you know, in your opinion? Well, I mean, I think that's the big the big one to me that always comes out is like safety. I mean, last year it was actually very surprising to me how the safeties underperformed. I think that was the big. The, the biggest, you know, beyond quarterback, right, which I expected, you know, Zach, well, Zach to make the leap and all, we don't get it, have to get into that. But just sort of the safety play was really um, just underwhelming. And I think that to me, you know, I know we, uh, we I think we all kind of expected that was going to be addressed maybe more aggressively than they did. But, um, you know, I think I think overall, I mean, the other the other issue, of course, is the tackles. I mean, that's a big, that's a big, I mean, the, the, the Makai Becton, um, experience has been interesting. And I mean, like his, like, you know, the last few days where he had did the article and everything. I mean, I think, 
fingers crossed, you know, he seems to be doing the right things finally, but he's lost a lot of time. And, you know, I, whatever issues he was dealing with, physical, mental, whatever it was, and, you know, to have that lost time and those lost reps, it's a lot of reps to lose. And so, you know, if, if he can't play, you know, there's last year, the offensive line was obviously a, a major, um, you know, especially after ABT went down, there was like a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, just things between quarterback not getting the ball out fast enough and guys not holding up. It was we really missed Becton. I mean, obviously a healthy Becton last year would have been like a completely different situation, even if ABT went down, I think. So that's a, you know, that's a major concern. If you have a guy who like top five pick, who you think is going to be a top 10 pick, wherever he was, you think is going to be a, a, a starter. If he's healthy, if he, you know, if he can't play again, if something happens, God forbid it, I'm certainly, I certainly hope nothing does, you know, his record speaks for itself. That's going to be a huge, I think a big, big problem. Yeah, I think, Dylan, that was something I was going to ask you tonight. You know, we'll get into it now with Greg being here. Um, I did an article on it. I And listen, it, for anyone who's, you know, unaware or doesn't watch this or listen to us regularly, I am and always have been a huge Mekhi Becton fan and supporter. I understand the frustration of the fans. I don't understand the actual, like, there, there's frustration, which I get, but there's also a lot of, like, well, a lot of. There's enough um, like legitimate hate for the guy, which I completely don't get. Um, even if, you know, even if you want to say he didn't do the right things as a rookie to lose the weight after the, or sorry, in his second year to lose the weight after the injury. I, okay, I get it, but he's a young kid. Like maybe he made a mistake and had a little growing up to do. Everyone is sort of saying, oh, well, he's getting him, he's getting his act together because he, he wants his big money, which listen, first of all, would only put him in a group with every other player in the NFL. Um, but the other thing is he had a kid, like maybe having the kid was a wake up call to him that like, oh, I, I got to make this work because it's going to make my kid's life easier for generations if I do it right. So I'm willing to give him the benefit of that doubt. And I've defended Mekhi Becton every step of the way. However, those comments the other day, I mean, he wasn't just critical of the Jets. Like I, I glanced at it um, when it was first posted on the forums at JetNation.com. Right. And I went, oh, man, not not the best look, you know, but I didn't really, really like dig into it. Sure. Um, then later that night when I had some time, I read it and I was blown away. Uh, you know, I I think I missed the part the first time through because the, the first read through what jumped out at me was how's your relationship with the coaching staff? Uh, it's OK. It is what it is. I'm like, that's okay. that's not that's a very lukewarm response. Like, even if it's not great, like there are some jobs in life where maybe you, you, you right. know, fudge things a little and that's one of them. But the thing that blew me away was him saying that he told his coaches he was hurt and they didn't listen and his knee buckled and he missed the season. I read that and my first thought was this reads like testimony in a lawsuit like this. This reads like you were going to file a grievance and you're letting everyone know that the team ignored your your pleas of being injured. And they're the reason you missed it. Like that's potentially hugely damaging stuff. And I just read that and thought. I, I I would love to know if if Becton sat down at any point with anyone because normally and this isn't a Becton thing this is an everybody things well high profile guys like a lot right. of this stuff is like pre planned and orchestrated here's your talking points you want to hit on this you want to yeah. make sure you mention that um, and I'm like did anyone advise him on this and say yeah go in there and make sure you mention the fact that they're the reason you got hurt and missed the season and so I'm not look I'm not bashing Becton. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying I'm out. I'm not saying I don't still think he can be an all-world player. I'm just saying I'm really surprised he made such damning comments about the Jets. Um wh what were your thoughts on them? Cuz like I said, I glanced at him. My first thought was not the best look. Then when I yeah, really I read them over, I was like, "Oh my god." You know, look, I, I think 
the guy suffered, you know, two years of injury. I, I, I try to be as generous as I can when I think about this as, as a human being. I can imagine like Absolutely. the depression that might come on. Like, you Absolutely. know what? You're depressed. You overeat. I'm not, look, I'm not making an excuse for the guy. I just imagine day to day, like the circumstances of that feeling of like feeling alone and feeling like whatever. I'm not feeling, again, not have to feel sorry for the guy. I'm just right. saying like, I can imagine you get in the mindset where you're just like not taking care of yourself. You don't want to get off the couch or whatever. And you just, you just spiral into the situation. That said, I, I would, if I were rising, I said, it's unwise to, to say that, you know, you should say, I mean, the best you, you put yourself in a position where everyone is looking at you going, this guy's in an incredible shape. It's really turned it around. He's turned the corner. It's sort of like, you know, you get in a fight with your wife, you know, and things are like sort of like trending in the right direction for three months. You shouldn't just turn around and go, and oh yeah, three months ago, blah, and just sort of like go back to that stuff. If you can move forward again, you may have to work your issues, but like not, especially not in public. You don't say to Thanksgiving dinner, like <laughs> exactly. She was, like, you know, she was impossible last summer. I could barely stand her. A you know? Facebook like, she post. Me crazy. It's my fault, right? It's my fault. Exactly. It's my, it's her fault. All this bad stuff happened, but you know, I'm like, look at me now. I'm mean, like, I've been working out, you know, or something. It's like, you know, so I don't know, like, because there's like, so much what, positive again, going on, right? Like, you know, and again, in private, you want to say, you want to, you know, have a tough talk with the coach or something and say, like, I really feel you put me in a bad position. And, you know, I, I think he legitimately thinks that. I mean, I guess he, you know, I, I, unless his agent said, go out there and blame the coaching staff from last year, I mean, that would be kind of terrible advice, too, because all this That's stuff, like, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, if he goes out, like, on the, you know, just don't resign him. You know, they don't, they don't, they don't sign him. He goes out in the free agent market. People, you know, teams look at that and go, this guy's, is this, you know, disgruntled or like whatever, you know, it's not saying it's like the only thing to decide, but like, it definitely is not a, I don't think it checks anyone's box as a good thing. Like if you're like ripping. Exactly. It's, it's like, staff. what is he helping? What, what's the benefit? Dylan, what were your thoughts, man? I, I was going to say I, the top line of the notes that I took from this entire article. And it's only one line was what everybody should have been focusing on, which was, Makai Becton working with a Long Island-based trainer for the last three months and is down from 394 pounds to 342 pounds. That, that should have been, the, that should have been the, the thing of the article. Right? Exactly. Yet I have almost a page of copy and pasted quotes out of this article that just make me make my jaw drop is just like, why now? And like Greg said, it's like you've been building up all this positive publicity exactly. posting exactly. the selfies in the gym doing like the workout inspire inspiring kids to go work out and lose yes. weight themselves yep. yes. like it's it's just been incredible and then you turn around and you're like okay now this is what actually happened and look at all this kind of laying out the dirty laundry and i don't really like that whole look and i agree maybe right tackle probably wasn't the best beneficial spot for him but he probably wasn't the best left tackle if they view dwayne brown as the best left tackle and also when you come in overweight and a little unhealthy, your conditioning is poor, it's going to tend to lead to more injuries. So I feel like it's not a matter of this article was kind of just pointing it all at the Jets. And I feel like there's some accountability that he also needs to take. And right. if he said with at the front of the article, like, hey, I know I was out of shape and overweight, but I really pushed myself hard and, and this and that. And no, it was kind of just like, yeah, I knew that I wasn't a right tackle. I got hurt. And now I'm kind of just like blaming it on being a right tackle. And now yeah. that's his excuse to being a, a left well, tackle and again. Look, and especially, right. Sorry to talk over you. No, you're, no, you're I mean, fine. You all know this. Everyone's like going like, he was overweight last year. And again, like, right. again, I'm not trying to like crucify the guy. I'm just saying it wasn't exactly. like he came into shape in incredible, incredible, incredible shape. And it's like, my knee is, you know, my knee is buckling. It doesn't feel right. And he's telling coaches, like, you might have a defense. Like, I might be more sympathetic if it was like, you know, he's in his best shape as he could be. He's like, my knee isn't really holding up. He tells the coaches and he gets hurt. Like, you know, but that means like, you know, again, like, 
if I gain if 150 this pounds, right. If I gain a hundred pounds and I'm like, you know, it's like I'm running or something like that. My knee, it's like, you can't just say like, Oh, my wife told me to go running and it's her fault. It's like, well, no, it's actually like, like throwing my wife under the bus left and right. By the way, she's a great lady. She's <laughs> yeah. But my wife, right? Greg's my wife just yeah. catching strays. She's like, yeah, hey, Greg, seriously. why don't you go do another podcast? Right. Love you, You're, good. You're all good. Your best wife. Like honestly, incredible. You know, it's just like, but like, seriously, it's like, you know, like, it'd be like turning around and blaming stuff. Like, you, you're not in shape. And, like, someone's like, you, you said you want to run this marathon. Like, go try to run it. Or you just got to start training. Like, you're, like, two days in training. Like, I'm fine, man. You're like, you gained 150 pounds. You know, like, what's wrong with you? You can't, like, just, you can't turn around and blame the person who's basically saying it's your responsibility to go out there and play. So, you know, it's just, um, yeah, look, I think he, I think it is the, like, the whole, the, all the inspirational stuff. And, again, like, the sort of, like, putting your foot down and saying, I'm not going to play right tackle, I think. You know, maybe in private, you go in, you scream at Salah. That's right, whatever. You go in the car stuff and you scream and say, don't want to play right tackle. But, like, in the newspaper, you're going to say with Dwayne Brown, who's, like, out there with, like, a, like his arm falling off and he's playing? Like, are you seriously going to say, like, I don't yep. want to play this position? And the other part of that is, and I wrote this in the, in the piece that I wrote. Again, you, I'm glad you brought it up because it was another really right. baffling piece where, and I've said this before, there is a world in which Makai Becton may very well be the best left tackle on the roster but that's not 100%. what's best for the team. Right. I mean, if you're going 100%. to play the best five and Makai Becton and Dwayne Brown are both in that top five and Dwayne Brown has only ever played left tackle, but Makai has played both spots, he moves to right tackle likely for this year. And then if he stays, he plays left next right. year. Yep. But th- right. that that was another like thing. This. And I wrote that. I, I think I said like Makai Becton, he, and uh, not, not in the critical way, but more in like a, like, like I'm confused way. I'm like, he has to understand that, right? He has to know that, like, Makai, you're playing the right side because the guy on the left, who you may be better than, and even if let's let's give that to you, let's say you're the better option, but he's never played on the right, and we need the five best guys out there. And he's 40 so years old. Right tackle is what makes exactly. sense. And that's what I mean. I can tell a 39, 40 year old tackle, like, hey, yep. we're going to start working your right tackle this week. Uh, you know, a left. Are you serious? And Can't teach old I, dog new tricks. <laughs> I would love to know what Dwayne Brown thinks. I mean, I mean, and, that, and that was the other part. I'm like, here's a respected veteran. Like guys in yeah. the locker room respect Dwayne Brown. <laughs> and Makai's just coming out like, oh, I'm taking that job. He's got my job. It's <clears throat> like I said, I I came away from that article and I just I thought, who who's advising him? Because and I'm I'm not saying Makai's a bad guy. I'm not saying no. I'm not rooting for him. I'm not saying he's not gonna no, be I, great. I, I you know I admire he's made and I hope I honestly hope he's gonna be like a star, obviously, this year. Right. Of course. And, and- what I came away from my opinion out of that article was I don't think he's on this team after next year. Like I think this year it's, it's really hard to see a scenario where he's on the team in 2024 and beyond, because you look at the scenarios, they didn't pick up the 2024 option. So he's already on the the last I mean, which they couldn't, they could never do that. No, it didn't. No, No. nothing justified it. If he plays well, it would be like malpractice. Exactly. If he plays well, you're now looking at possibly a 20 plus million dollar a year left tackle. And I don't think they're going to pony up all that cash for a one year product, essentially. And then if he does bad and or he gets injured, obviously he's gone either way. So like, I think no matter how you slice it, you hope that he has a great year for the Jets. And then at worst, you hope that if they do let him go, he brings you back a comp pick. And unfortunately, that's what we have to look at as as Joe Douglas's first draft pick ever as the Jets general manager. But if that's all you get out of it, it's unfortunate. But we get one solid year, and then he moves on. I think that's probably the, the most likely case for him. And you mentioning that, Dylan, reminds me. Another, the quote that the article ended with, to me, was him saying he he was likely going to leave. Now, I'm not saying that's what right. he said. 
But if yeah. you read the whole article where he says the you know where he's lukewarm on his response about what he thinks about the coaching staff, and then he says they're the reason I got hurt and they're playing me in the wrong spot. They're not doing what's best for me. And then he closes the article by saying, essentially, if you get on my bad side, don't try to get back on my good side. You right. know, like, you know, it's, it, it is interesting because like, pages. we don't, yeah. No, no, go ahead, Greg. Sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to being an old man here. It's like, you know, I remember like, I actually remember as a kid, I was living in Queens, you know, like he's with, with Reg Jackson saying, I'm the straw that stirs the drink and how much that pissed off Darman Munson. And like, it's yep. interesting. Like, again, it speaks to the, the, the maturity of the locker room and how good this coach is because like, you didn't hear like people sniping back. Like, you know, I, I did not read any articles where anyone said anything to the press about it where, you know, like that could be like, I, I mean, I could imagine some guys in the room, the, the offensive linemen were really offended by that. I mean, I could imagine they would be like, are you seriously saying that about Dwayne? Because that's the way it felt to me. Like, it felt like it was, like, disrespectful to Dwayne Brown. That, that um, was my first thought, yeah. But to think again of, like, how, like, there hasn't been, like, all this – there's always going to be drama at the Jets, right? But, like, there what has not been this, like, the type of drama we've seen in the past with, you know, unnamed sis, people in the locker room and, like, Santana – you know, whatever this person person saying this, and uh, you know, right. uh, San Antonio Holmes like pushing. You, you didn't see like that type of like negative vibe come out of this story, which is like almost like it was like it just came and went. And again, we sort of are shocked by it in some ways, but like you didn't hear the the um, the response that you typically would expect. I think in New York, finding somebody to kind of speak out about that or being like grumbling about that, or just you know, the coaches, the coaches, got, coaches are too soft on on him or something. I can imagine that narrative could come out with a different coach. The coach is put up with, you know, just too soft on him. He lets them get with everything. Yeah. And, and Sala nipped it in the bud right away in the presser. He's like, I'm not going to yeah, comment on it. And that's 100%. what he should do because let Makai say his piece publicly. You know, you keep your side in house. And I feel like we've seen this plenty of times that the side that's speaking the most publicly usually has, you know, the most to gain from the situation. So the jets are just going to sit back let him go prove to them that he's the best left tackle. He said in the article they've been playing him as the third tackle. I don't know if that means the the top priority tackle at both spots, like the swing tackle, or if third right. on the depth chart behind right. possibly Carter Warren or Max Mitchell. But either way, he right. said it, he wants to come into practice and take the left tackle job. And if that's the case week one, and you know, you have to make sure that there's no questions to you being the left tackle or else I just I don't right. see him starting at left tackle this year. Right. Right. And again, all the like positivity, I'm all about it. Like I, I really am hoping for that. I look, I hope Makai has a great year, even if it like, you know, go, goes off. He can't be signed by the Jets. He goes off and he has a good tenure in NFL career. I really do hope that for these guys, because these guys are like, and again, all seriousness, obviously his knee is problematic. These guys are giving up a lot to do this in terms of physically. We all know the stories of the guys with their bodies. And like, so I'm hoping he gets a big payday and does well for himself. But yeah, I mean, like whoever advised him, like, I don't know, like, you know, and I don't think Bob Glauber did anything wrong in the article at all. I think he just like asked the questions and got the answers. But it's just like, yeah, you can't blame him. Serve. And he's like, and then he didn't end Makai to be like, this is the real story. And again, like, I'm not Makai should be throwing Glauber on the bus, but he sort of like was like basically like amplifying it, being going like, yeah, this is 100% what I think. You know, like instead of saying, you know, I maybe I would have tweeted out like, good article, you know, lots of stuff spoken about in the last few months, made a lot of progress. I'm really happy with the future going forward. And just like, you know, and of like at least spun it like, I said that four months ago, three months ago, which I imagine the interview was probably the interviews were done over a period of weeks, you know, and just sort of say we're moving on. Like instead of like being like putting your foot down and being like, hell yeah, I still agree with this. Like, you know, it's just like, I don't know. It just, it just doesn't seem like the wisest 
course of action. Yeah, I um, actually, I, I actually had, and I forget the person's name. I think he was, I don't know, he was some a writer of some type. Um, had had a sort of unfortunate interaction on Twitter. I don't have many of those. I've had a few this past few days though. Um, but I, I, me in trying to be charitable, charitable to Makai Becton, and you know, literally as I read it and hoping, I'm thinking, okay. They're going to talk to Becton about this sometime next week, and he's going to say something was misunderstood or misqu- not mis or, or you know even misquoted or that's not what I said. Well, I was expecting I some out of, of emotion, that. right? Right. I so was emotional I, when I spoke. When I tweeted his quote, I, I having expected him to, I don't know, if backtrack is the right word, but I was so shocked at what he said that I kind of said, I tweeted out one of the quotes and just said, look, I don't know if any of this, if his words were twisted or if he was misquoted by accident or if he was just misquoted, but here's what Mackay Becton said. So that was me trying to be charitable to Mackay right. Becton, not realizing, you know, uh, somebody, I don't know if this was a, <laughs> he sure acted like he was a good friend of Bob Glauber. Uh, somebody replied and was like, what are you saying about Bob? He's a great guy. He would never misquote. And I'm like, guy, listen, I'm I'm like people in the media misquote sometimes. Like I'm not. Right. But then I got mad because instead of like approaching it like, hey, man, maybe maybe that is what he said. Like he, it sort of had like a confrontational tone. So I responded to that. Like right. then I, I just started getting snarky and wasn't taking it seriously. Um, You know, the whole like, you know, it'll be OK. You know, I stand with you in this difficult time. Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, it's not which, it wasn't Manish. Right. It was like Glauber is, like, you know, I think we whatever. I mean, yeah, Glauber's I have no issues with Glauber. It, it was me, like I said, trying to be charitable to Becton and right. hoping he was going to say that's not exactly 100%. what I meant. But right. Yeah, right. It, it I came mean, I was misinterpreted like, or something like that. Right. Yeah. So it was it was kind of wild. But um, <laughs> yeah, l- listen, Becton is he's a huge, uh, you know, no pun intended. He's a, a huge part of this team and what's going to happen moving forward. And, uh, you know, if does he hang around? Well, it would be like incredible, right? That would be like an incredible bonus. Oh, my like God. A solid year. Yep. Look, I, I say that that's like to me when when you have a especially a young, talented guy get injured, like, you know, whether it's after week three or week five or just week one, when a guy misses the season, my, my thought, because and trying to be as optimistic as possible, my thought process is like, well, at least when that guy comes back next year, it's almost like you got an extra first round pick because you yep. didn't have him right. this year, you know, but now right. we're on year two of that with Makai because I thought that last year. Um because we've, you know, you look at this offseason as a whole. I feel like there were some moves that could have been made in some other spots that I still hope will be made. Um, but that's one spot where you think if Makai Becton comes back and plays the way he did as a rookie, next to Elijah Vera Tucker, with these these two running backs who, you know, Brees may have a slow start with the injury recovery, but right, between probably. Hall and Abanacana, like these are big play home run, 70 yard touchdown run backs. Right. And if Becton right. and Vera Tucker are right on the right side, and you have a quarterback where defenses can't just say, okay, we'll just put 11 guys in the box and we'll be fine because the quarterback can't throw. Like a quarterback who's going to be able to make plays with a running game that could be one of the best in the league if Makai Becton is right. He's such a big part of this whole picture that his health could could have a huge impact on how far this team goes. And, and I, th- I would even go as far as to say he could like buck potential trends down the road of – if he plays all 17 games or even 16 games at like the level that he was at, at, at as a rookie, he could be in contention for comeback player of the year. Like it's like 100%. the, the Great point. realm of possibilities for this guy are just yep. so wide. And it's, it's unfortunate. We that, saw the talent. Know, I mean, that's the thing we saw, saw the exactly. talent. Everyone saw the talent. He was like destroying people. I mean, he was like, un- for those four or five games, it was like, and again, that, you know, at the end of the day, like 
it's not a matter of five years from now if he ever plays like that again. You know, it's going to be an unfortunate like flip that's you know he had that little that little early success. It's just you do hope he does it. But if he can play like like that or even even like in the, the universe of that, like we're going to be so lucky. I gotta say, just lucky. Exactly. Tackle is definitely the high variance position on offense for sure. You could say they're the the weakest group uh, on the entire offense. And then you say it has the potential to be a top two, top three group when it comes together with both tackles, uh, Dwayne Brown, Makai Beckner, however you, you know, combine the two out of the five spots there on the offensive line. Um, Anything else there uh, on Makai for you, Glenn? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good with Beckton. You know, like I said, I've, I've, I always have and still do support the guy. I just thought those comments were very ill-advised. Um, it's I, it's unfortunate that he, as you know, Greg made the perfect point that you kind of decided just to take all these steps back after all this positive that was sort of flowing in the right direction. So we'll see where it goes. Yep. All right. What do we have next? Oh, we do have a, a signing. Um, a roster move was made today. The Jets did sign a wide receiver from a rookie minicamp tryout, Jerome Cap, uh, Division Two wide receiver from Kutztown, which is actually about an hour away from where I live. Glenn, I'm not sure if you had any thoughts on Jerome, if you had seen any film of him, if you in, in your wild dive of film that you do. I didn't dive quite that deep. I um, didn't think so. I, I will say he he is my favorite. Uh, six foot plus wide receiver out of Coonstown, who names yeah, there you the go. He's down, definitely yeah. <laughs> number one in that category. Right, right. Yeah, I think when you wear number twenty one as a wide receiver in practice, like the graphic showed that the Jets Twitter yeah, account posted when they signed him. I'm like, yeah, no, nobody's really like he putting was you on their show. radar just yet. And some players have come out and said he, you know, balled out at practice today. I think it was Jermaine Johnson said he balled out at practice. So. They Listen, sign man, him. it happens. You know, it's it's hey, rare. Hey, they need guys but... to play special teams at the wide receiver position, and this is probably the guy to do it. I mean, he's a you know the the last guy on the roster right now, but uh, in the corresponding move, they do put Bradley and I um, depth defensive end on injured reserve. He's from the Cowboys, just kind of been a practice squad guy for the Jets, so not really a, a major move there. And I think that wraps up all the football talk. I think we can get into let's talk about music, the real stuff. Yeah, yeah. What, you know, what about? Yeah. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. Whoa, whoa, we got, we got one more. We got one more. Sopranos. We got the Sopranos. And I, I, I saw the headline that apparently Aaron Rodgers doesn't like Sopranos, and that's like breaking news at the New York Post or something like that. <laughs> uh oh. Well, I haven't heard so the... many favors. Oh, you didn't see that? Like, I, don't, I guess he's. I guess he said something like, "I don't. I wasn't really much of a Sopranos guy." So suddenly, of course, like it's like like blood in the water for New York. You know. Uh, tabloids are like sopranos and jets like let's like you know they're like you know it just was it just was silly right but i, I, was, it's, I, just it's, I was like <laughs> i will say this I'll, I'll 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 back aaron Rodgers up on that and I'll, I'll give my excuses to why i'm in the same boat um sopranos so obviously it was you know as as it gained steam is like this sort of the best show on television for a while right I thought to myself, I'm going to watch that show like, you know, I'm going to wait till it's about to wrap up so I can just run through every season and, you know, binge the whole show. All my friends tell me how great. I mean, as you know, I live in England now. I was at work one night and this guy was like literally the first shift I ever worked with him. And he's right. like, oh, you're from New York. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, what do you think of The Sopranos? And I'm like, uh, you know, and he's like, oh, right. it's a great podcast. Like he listened right. all the time. And so yeah. huge fan. But yeah, so I waited. Yeah. I was like, I'll wait to the end. I start watching season one as the final season of The Sopranos is airing. And um, and I'm getting toward the end of it. I'm like, and I'm getting into it. I'm like, oh, this is going to be really good. I'm going to really enjoy this. Um, and then the, the Sopranos ended. 
And the ending was, it was so loathed by so many fans that I heard about it. I So I knew how the whole thing ended, which sucks. Right. And I heard the anger in so many people's voices about how mad they were that right. i was like i think i'm gonna stop now like these right. people are like right. they want to hunt down the the writer right. and, and get this guy right. so i watch i watch season one and i know right. how it all ends right and oh, so that's and- why i didn't watch from there but i've i've been told like watch it anyway it's that yeah thing. like even though you know yeah. how, how the final scene is watch it anyway one more quick quick thing we get to music which is that what well, is actually is on music so i did like was interested to see that uh, Aaron Rodgers likes Taylor Swift, and so I just want to give a quick, yes. a quick Slander. SOS for my 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 uh, my beloved niece Lily, who doesn't have a ticket to go see Taylor when she's going to be in the New York area this weekend. If anyone does DM her, I mean, like she's I'm like she's like going to have a and get to go. So help help out Lily. <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, I I know it's one pain. Taylor she's Swift song. I I yeah. only know one Taylor Swift song, uh, Greg. That I I think. There's one because I saw the video where they asked the Jets players the favorite song, and one of them named the song that I think I've heard of, but I don't know it, know it. But I know um, you belong with me because an artist that you and I have discussed a fair bit on Twitter, uh, one of my favorites, Butch Walker. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've heard. Uh, have you heard his version? I have not. Butch Walker, and this was so great. I don't know what inspired him to do this. I think it was. I don't know if it was after an award show or a gig or whatever. He put out a short video of himself going back to the studio one night with a ukulele and Butch plays every instrument. And he did a remake of You Belong With Me using the ukulele and playing every instrument. And he he kind of does this video like every sort of 30 seconds. It's it's a quick snapshot of him filling another coffee mug. So he's like burning the midnight oil in the studio doing a remake of You Belong With Me that apparently like won some awards or like Taylor Swift yeah. acknowledged it as a great version. That's cool. So check out check out Butch Walker's version um, of You Belong With Me. Um, you know, Butch, one of, not the not the biggest name guy. I actually told my wife before we started recording, Greg, I don't know if you remember this. Um, you know, she's, uh, being British, she's, she doesn't watch American football all that intently, but she, she is interested in the pod. And if if we have a cool guest coming on, I tell her, and I said, um, I was explaining to her who you were. And I said, um, I said, oh, actually, um, because of Greg, this is sort of, it was almost like, imagine being at a party and you're talking to someone and one of your idols comes up to talk to them, but they don't acknowledge you, but you don't care because they're standing there. Um, you and I were talking on Twitter one day. And um, I think I mentioned that the first albums I ever bought were um, Slave to the Grind and uh, Skid Row Slave to the Grind and Alice in Chains yeah. um, Facelift. Great album. Yep. And, um, and Sebastian Bach jumped into the conversation and like yes. to, log- to talk to you because he'd read your book. So I'm scrolling my Twitter and it's like Sebastian Bach has commented on your whatever. I was like, what? He's got to be on next week. He's got to be on I was on like, next this is crazy. Sebastian. So I, I go in and it's like, and I'm like, oh, well, of course he's not talking to me, but I don't care. He's in my conversation. Like Sebastian Bach, who I actually, when, um, when we went, me and two of my best friends, um, who I grew up with, you know, we grew up watching Guns and Roses, listening to Guns and Roses as kids. And a few years ago when GNR announced the reunion, we went out to, uh, we flew out to Vegas. Like they were living in Boston. I was living in Philly and, you know, we didn't care. We were like, we're, we're flying out. I didn't care if it was in China. Right. We were going to the first show. Um, so we go out there and, um, funny part of it, I thought one of my friends was pulling my, cause you know, Greg, you know, the story about, you know, the, 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 the tour a million years ago that got delayed because of the axle when he, when they had to build him that walking boot, cause he, he hurt his leg or whatever it was right. back in the nineties. And we fly out to Vegas. Um, me and my friend and my other friend was meeting us out there 
and the plane, the flight lands and my buddy logs onto his phone. And I was, I was sure he was pulling my leg. He turns around, he looks at me and he goes, Axel hurt his foot. Cause as you remember, he injured himself at the Troubadour right. show the night before. And I was like, right. yeah, whatever dude. And he holds his phone up and shows me and my heart sank. Like we just landed <laughs> in Vegas. Like, and his, he's broken his foot again. Um, so, so the funny part of that was that the most recent, the most recent show I'd seen prior to that was the Foo Fighters in, um, in Philly, yeah. in Jersey, the Susquehanna center, I think it was called. Yeah. Um, and Dave Grohl had broken his foot and had that awesome Throne. chair that he had Throne. built. Yeah. So we're like literally first, second row, you know, standing room. So we're like five feet from this chair that was just, they're like, that thing has to go to the rock and roll hall of fame. Right. So we land in Vegas, we get to the venue. Uh, you know, the, that night or the next night, whatever it was. And so the most recent concert I've seen was Dave Grohl in this awesome chair. And then out rolls Axl Rose on the same chair. Like Dave Grohl loaned it to him. I was like, that was like the last concert I was at. The guy was sitting there. <laughs> so it was like very, very surreal moment. But um, yeah, yeah cool. just some, some of the interactions, though. I mean, w- w- you're obviously you love that scene. You love the music, yeah. the, the the Van Halen era. Yeah. Um, there's yeah. probably not a Van Halen fan on the planet that isn't following you on Twitter. And if, <laughs> if you're out there and you like Van Halen and you're not following Greg, he is the official Van Halen historian. Um, what what got you into that scene and who are some of your other favorite bands from that era? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I grew up, you know, in uh, Jersey in the 80s and I actually saw Van Halen at the Meadowlands at the old Bre- oh, the old Brendan Burn Arena, which was what it was originally called in the 80s. And, uh, you know, I just became a, you know, a huge kind of fan for life and uh but you know that whole that whole period of time i mean like whatever you know like motley Crue, um rat you know rush but i still you know the, the basically the classic band that's ever like led zeppelin which is kind of weird to think about like in 1986 like the, the last led zeppelin album had come out you know in theory in 1982 but like basically 1979 so it was only like a few years like but they were like the like the the dinosaurs they were like the the ancient like giants they or whatever the old guys yeah pink floyd right pink floyd all those bands so yeah i mean um it was uh it was a great era of music to grow up in and uh you know i just grew up as a, a guy who loved history i had a father who was a, a professor and was really interested in history and i kind of all it all sort of rolled together for me and my love of music and my love of history and i got through this the book on van halen but um yeah i mean like you know the same interesting the same thing for me it comes back to the the jets as well i remember hearing at some point that mark gastineau and, and eddie van halen were friends it was like a little thing of rolling stone or whatever yeah. and and I remember reading sometime um, years later that like actually when um, around like, like 85, 86, that Eddie and um, Mark and Valerie, Eddie Van Halen, Mark and Valerie all were in like, I don't know, like Malibu or someplace. They were all like, like, like basically like Gaston, was like training with Valerie. Like she was working for some, you know, to do something where she had to be really shape a movie or something like that. And like the fact that like, I found out that like my guitar hero was like friends with it, with, with Mark Gaston, I was like, that was like even more, more juice for me as a fan. And I always thought that was kind of a cool, a cool thing to think about those pictures you can see of Eddie and Mark together on the sideline of that Jets preseason yeah. game that they were like, they were like buds. And it turns out like, if, you know, if you talk to a couple of people who, who knew Eddie back there, he wasn't really a Jets fan. He, I think he was actually a Los Angeles Raiders fan, but he was, you know, an NFL fan. and was just a friend of Mark's and like, like really liked Mark as a person they had met some television show or something like that. And that, that, that they were like buds was really cool. That's actually a really interesting story. I didn't know that that was the tie into the Jets there because my first question for you was kind of a similar tie into the Jets. And I was doing a little bit of research. Um, I called my brother and my stepdad. Those are like the two, you know, metal guys, rock guys that I go to to find out all my information. And my brother told me that there's two brothers on the, on the, in the 
former like the founding members of the band alex and eddie yep. van halen and then he said the same thing with acdc with angus and malcolm young yep. and i was like well i wonder if that like kind of ties into similarly to quinnon and quincy do they have a better chemistry do they just kind of pick up where each other leaves off and i feel like when you're the drummer and the guitarist you kind of set the tone for the band so does that did that brotherly instinct kind of kick in with with music similarly like it would with a, a sport yeah, and I think so. I mean, I think it's, you know, one of the things that really is, uh, when you talk about Angus and Malcolm or the Van Halen brothers, that they only have, almost have like a, they can anticipate what the other person's going to do. And that just right. comes from like, you play together in a bedroom and you play together in a basement for years and you go play in clubs together. So you have like, that's, you basically become like one brain when it comes to music. And I think, you know, I think that's really interesting to think about with, the, with, with Quinnen and Quincy. And of course, you know, the fact that Quincy got, has gotten his contract and Quinnen hasn't, it's sort of like, you know, I, I always wonder what that, um whether what that's like i think the all the the signs are that quinnon is going to get paid and i think they'd be it would be very surprising to me if they did not extend him um but yeah you know that i would love to have those guys talk about that sort of like you know when quincy's lined up behind his brother like is he like already know like what his brother's seat like is he's you know he's looking at the field and his brother's looking exactly, at the field, he already yes. like knowing like oh my brother's gonna you know my brother is gonna do this i know what move he's gonna do he's gonna do he's gonna rip this or do you know pull, do this type of move to get into the backfield and already has that that anticipation i mean it's a really interesting thing um i think i asked michael nania about the the sacks by brothers and he I, of course he knew like whoever the all-time leaders of brothers who have sacks and he's like they'd really have to like work to catch up quincy and quinnon but um it'd be cool i mean they really could like have um you know i think both of them have a chance to have good long nfl careers and i'm and i really like uh, what Quincy has brought. I mean, he's kind of, I know he's sort of like a boom and bust. Sometimes he has these big misses and stuff like that. But I think overall, his entire body of work has been very positive. And he's big, you know, we've been looking for years for like linebackers who weren't going to be like running behind a wheel route, you know, like the Patriots would run the same wheel route every every game. And it was like, you know, some like 260 pound linebackers like yeah. chugging you know, yes. 10 yards behind him. It was like the same movie over and over again to have someone who had, you know, has speed to get out there and really make those plays on the, on the edges and stuff like that. It's been really nice. And he seems like a great kid. Yeah, that sack stat was certainly interesting to think about because immediately the Watts and the Boses come into my brain. But that's right. that's definitely a thing. And I think that that has something to do with, you know, especially being on the same team, like you said, lined up right in front of each other. Like sometimes my brother and I are doing something and he just gives me a look and I know what he's thinking. So I could definitely right. consider that being the exact same thing. Like I'm going to shoot this way. You fill this gap this way. So def definitely a good tie in there. Yeah. Um, I was, I was just going to say, you mentioned Eddie being your guitar hero, and I was um, just researching guitar solos, and I see that Eruption is number two. I don't know if your rankings match up with this as number two, <laughs> but I also see that he made the list at number 11 when he did Michael Jackson's Beat It, which was right. completely new information to me. So can you right. talk about just like his his range and how he was able to work with all these different artists and do you think both of them are, are top 10 sure yeah i mean i think i will think about the eruption solo and there's been a number of you know there's been a number of moments in you know the history of anything like you think in like in in um the nfl like you know maybe the the introduction of like um the forward pass or you can think about the introduction of uh, other other innovations that sort of changed the change the nature of the of the game right so like when eddie van halen did the eruption solo it sort of set a new standard it sort of changed the changed the basically what it meant to have like an incredible guitar solo on an album and so yeah i mean i think obviously there's room for debate i'm, I'm you know i'm not 
I'm not a lunatic when it comes to like, you know, to things like I can say like, you know, this, I don't know what number one was, but like, yes, I think, I think the eruption solo and for its impact on guitar playing and its overall um, historical importance as a piece of music in rock history, it's like got to be up there in the top, top five at least. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the beat of solo, what's really interesting about that is that um, that was really an instance where Quincy Jones, who was the producer for Michael Jackson, really thought about the fact that he wanted to have Michael Jackson more crossover into rock. To basically, like basically, there was like much more of a, for lack of a better term, segregation when it came to music, where an MTV was playing, you know, mostly like whiter rock in the in the early '80s, and like a lot of radio stations, you turn on, you know, what, what we consider classic rock today, you wouldn't hear a lot of you wouldn't hear a lot of black artists, and so the fact that. Eddie Van Halen, kind of the, the era's greatest guitar hero, played on a Michael Jackson song, the era's greatest pop star, kind of just made that crossover. Like some rock stations played it, some R&B, like, you know, basically R&B stations or played the, the Eddie Van Halen beat it song, you know, and the people are like, oh, who's that guitar solo? That's kind of cool. And it sort of it sort of changed the game for that, too. You listen to a lot of the, the music of the era. I don't want to get too into the weeds, but like a lot of the, the stuff that followed, like a lot of like with black artists suddenly have like these like sort of like guitar solos in them. And it wasn't a thing to put a guitar solo in a, you know, like a Janet Jackson song for lack of a better term, but like black cat comes along in the later eighties. Yeah, I, I was just going to say black cat. Right. It becomes a thing, right. Thing, like, it's a thing, like, Oh, this, this is great. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously, you know, to have um, Eddie Van Halen pass away relatively young. has been, you know, kind of a, a wake up call for, I think for a lot of people for just, you know, how, how like, yeah, all of our heroes are, if you grew up in that era, all your heroes are passing away. Tina Turner, God, God rest her soul too, just passed away and stuff yeah. like that. It's Jeff Beck. And so, um, you know, kind of the greats are all all leaving us. And so, um, but yeah, that's a, a great, two great solos I would definitely say would be would be the top. Kind of, you know, I always think that the beaded solo is is up there in the top solos that Eddie ever did as well, just because of the influence of it, the impact. Like I said, it, it sure. impacted other genres of music, like other, basically black oriented artists started to say, I want an Eddie Van Halen style guitar solo in my song because of Eddie Van Halen's solo. Yeah, yeah so I it actually sort of bridged played, the um, gap there. Um, yep. yep. I was just going to say, I, I just had one more. Um, Pink Floyd Comfortably Numb was number one on this specific and, list. And that's, that's and, like a good, a good song. I mean, that's like sure. a, a perfectly reasonable one to say, like should be in the conversation. I didn't solo. agree with the entire list per se either, but my brother mentioned, and I'm glad that you mentioned the, the black artists and the bridging the gap. He mentioned... Jimi Hendrix rendition of the national anthem. If you can yeah. consider that a guitar solo, that has to be up there as well. So I yeah. certainly think that that is there. And then Perfect. That's just a great one, one. One last question. It's, it's a bit of like deep dive information. I'm not sure if you're too uh, deep into the band. Yes. But my, my stepfather wanted me to ask before they brought on Rick Wakeman as the keyboard player, there were other people that auditioned for that job. And, and, he wanted to know if you knew any of those names and if we could like shine a light on what could have possibly been. That's like, is that like a final Jeopardy question? Like I'm talking, <laughs> I don't, I how much know. did you wait? 30 your... seconds. You got 30 seconds. I, 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 I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm sure I can figure it out. When your wife. Oh, and a friend. Let me call him. Um, yeah, you know, um, there's another another example really quickly of a band that had, you know, multiple evolutions. I mean, completely changed the sound by the 80s, became, uh, you know, very different, different, same singer, but uh, with John Anderson, but a very, very different um, song and became M MTV Darlings as well. Another band like, you know, like, you know, you're like, yes, it's going to be on MTV a lot. You know, like with their nine minute songs and they're kind of like spacey, spacey, you know, prog rock thing. Like, yeah, they, yeah. they kind of. Kind of the owner of Lonely Heart and all that stuff, and so, but yeah, I do not know the answer to that question. But yeah, that's that was I'm stumped. 
Yeah, I'm it's not. you know, it, I just had a thought about how I said because I was something I was going to mention, Greg, and I'd said a couple weeks ago, you know, and I mentioned earlier about the 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 people who are so critical of of Mackay Becton right now about you know he's only getting in shape because he wants the money. He sort of Becton is in a no win situation, right? Like if he'd if he hadn't lost the weight, he'd be lazy, but he loses the weight and he's greedy. So no matter what he did, fans were going to hate on oh. him for it, and it kind of. The, the 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 music tie-in here is how my heart goes out to Wolfgang Van Halen yep. on Twitter with these mm-hmm. people who were like, you're making your name on your dad's songs. And he's like, right. I don't perform any of my dad's songs, but you're using his <laughs> name. Like, dude, it's my name. Like, I'm not going to change my name because my dad right. was a musician. Like, right. And I mean, the kid is out. He's playing every instrument on his album he, like he couldn't there is not more he could possibly do to be his own man his own musician and you still have these lunatics probably the same people who still hate makai becton and right. think zach wilson was drafted right. based off of one throw right. like right. these people who just they get this thought in their head and they're like they can never get off of it right and i watch wolf van halen on on twitter and i'm like i don't know how you do it man like these right. people are so out of their minds but on a positive note i'm at my age i'm i am terrible at like taking in and caring about new music like i'm the old guy who likes my stuff from when it was cool like i'm i'm gonna listen right. to Faith no more right. metallica guns and roses but listen to you Wolf Van Halen. Miami Vice. you're like forget these new shows i want what i want to put on miami vice exactly <laughs> give me some married with children i don't need this stuff you know but um but no wolf van halen i actually played distance for my son uh not long ago because um i i had the kids watch back to the future which they love and then, and I can't remember if this is something you posted, Greg, or if I, I mean, I'm sure you know it because there is nothing about Van Halen you don't know. That's not true. Well, not about yes, too. I mean, like, I'm like, uh, <laughs> well, no, this, this like reading this, all these yes books tonight. I'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, Dylan. You got homework now. Yep. <laughs> um, no, it. but the, the scene in Back to the Future, right? When, uh, when, when Marty uses the Van Halen cassette, yeah, right. that, 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 that was Eddie. Yes, but real Eddie it said, playing, yeah. but it said Eddie Van Halen because the band wouldn't give the rights to just use Van Halen. Yeah, so yeah. that's why Supposedly the cassette means yeah. Eddie Van Halen because he right. can obviously claim it. Yeah. Um, so because of that, I explained to my son, I was like, the guy playing guitar on that scene right there is one of the best guitarists ever, and he passed away recently. And you know, with his son, so I played right. Distance for him. My son loved it. But um, how that's nice great. has it been, aside from the lunatics, how nice has it been to watch Wolf Van Halen sort of come into his own as a musician and really make some fantastic music? He's opening for Metallica now. I mean, he's he's done a great job. I Look, yeah, I, mean, I could talk about this for hours. I would just say, like, I've never met Wolf, but I, I have such, um, you know, admiration and empathy for him. I mean, obviously, you grow up and your, your parents are celebrities. Everyone thinks, like, oh, it's like, oh, like, it's all great. Your parents are celebrities. And surely there's obviously there's great things that come with that. But obviously there's also the expectation that, like, yeah, like anything you do is just because who your mom and your dad is basically. And, you know, he could be a guy. I mean, he could just go to Starbucks every day and like just hang out and do nothing. Right. He could. I'm sure right. he's like in a comfortable enough situation where he could do that. But he's like going out and he's like not saying like, I'm just going to like play Van Halen songs. I mean, yeah, like, exactly. I play, like running with the devil in Panama. Right. I could just play my dad's music and like live off that uh, live off that legacy. He's like going out there and, and writing his own music and. You know, look, if he wasn't good, I don't care what your last name is. Your last name could be, you know, could be Sinatra. It could be Michael Jackson's kid. It could be anybody's kid. Like, if you're not good, you're not going to open for Metallica. They're not going to let, like, some, like, amateur, you know, like, terrible band open up for Metallica. I'm sorry. It's like, it's not, right. you know, 
certainly like that opens it certainly doesn't help that metallica opened for van halen in 1988 i'm sure that was helpful that the hetfield is like and those guys are like hey it's eddie's kid you know this is great we want to let's listen yeah. to the music and they like the music they're gonna let you know let the but they're they're doing well on these tours and like people like the music and i think it's again I just look at him and I say, you know, here's a guy who has the guts to go out and do something that people necessarily aren't expecting him to do. Like, you know, they, or they want pushing him to do something that's more like in line with what his dad did in terms of music. And he's like, he's out there doing it on his own terms. And, you know, he's just going after you to people like, I don't, I don't care what you think. I'm going to do what I want. And I'm not going to just basically, you know, crawl on a shell basically. And just basically like, Hey, I don't have to face, I don't have to face the music in terms of like this. I've got, you know, I've got, um, celebrity parents and i can just sort of like ride out my life and not have to like you know he's out there like facing the criticism and the the sort of the hard reality of like what it takes to be an artist especially in this era when like everyone can get to you like yep. look you know in the back in the day like when it was a bad interview by you know in cream magazine about led zeppelin like the publicist for led zeppelin called and screamed at the reporter and the, the, the guys got mad but it wasn't as if like you had like you pick up your phone like people were like hurling abuse at like robert right. plant or something like that right it was just like you know it was just like an annoying interview and you just didn't give an interview to that journalist again and you just moved on you know so it's a different era and um you know i certainly to have i know that um from what he's talked about that it was you know a long road with his dad with cancer a lot a lot a lot of like sort of like hopefulness like oh the cancer's right. remission coming back and coming back and we've all had relatives who face that it's a terrible hard road and so um, you know, he lost his dad and he was relatively young. And so, you know, I really, I, I'm pulling for the guy. I always will pull for the guy. And I really just, um, always like secretly, you know, to myself, I don't do a lot of the stuff on Twitter around him because it's like, he doesn't need anyone to like back him up. Right. <laughs> he's just, he's like blowing people up left and right on Twitter. You know, it's like, so it's just like, he, know, he's, like, yeah, he's very witty, like very funny yeah. dude. Like some yeah. of his replies, like the, my favorite are the ones where he's being like a really like sarcastic like right. f you in a in the nicest possible way but people aren't catching it and they're responding right. as if he's being right. serious right. like he's just he's really good at that and just just right. such a likable guy i can't imagine like being a van halen fan and hating on that guy who like all he's doing is making awesome music on his own and being accessible to fans and and polite and cordial like there's like i said there's nothing yeah. more the guy can do in my yeah. eyes um, yeah. but look it doesn't I, matter you know it does not matter who you are there's always going to be somebody who hates you 100%. I was going to say, I, I was unaware that he was, you know, catching flack from people about using the name Van yeah. Halen. And, and it got me <laughs> yeah. thinking, like, I know that I know that there was a, a potential for a, the name to be changed of the band when Sammy Hagar took over. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. wonder yeah. if, you know, hindsight, you go back, you change the name to Van Hagar, if they'd actually Wolfgang, be giving yeah, exactly. crap to this day. Wolfgang Van Hagar, he could have called himself Wolfgang Van Hagar. Wasn't that one of his right. replies? Didn't I? I feel yeah, like he had a tweet. Wolfgang Led Zeppelin. That Wolfgang was it. Zeppelin. I'm no longer going to live off my parents' name. My new name is Wolfgang Van Zeppelin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's a good one. Oh, Wolfgang Led Zeppelin, right? Yeah. That yeah, was it. Yeah, it, yeah. Wolfgang Led Zeppelin. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's yeah, I think, um, you know, as, as I, I get older and I know Dylan is like tired of us talking about how old we are, but like, you know, you see oh, these, these young people sort of like progress to you know, young people, like, you know, he's like, he's, you know, a couple of decades younger and you see that to sort of like have to like, just, just keep on, you know, you lose people you love in your life and family. I've lost my dad and you know, I'm sure you guys have lost people you love too. You just have to kind of soldier on. It's tough. And you know, it's really, it's really been um, nice to see him have uh, a chance to do something totally different with, with his music. Again, his music, you know, people are like, well, it doesn't, you know, people are like, you know, it doesn't really sound like what I, it doesn't sound like Van Halen. I'm like, well, he was like, you know, he's like, was like 10 years old. And, you know, he's not going to be like, he didn't grow up like on the same music we did. Like, you know, people in their fifties, like, so are you surprised that it sounds maybe more like in the, the range of like nineties 
you know, rock, then, you know, it's like, it's not going to sound like 1980s music because that's somewhat not what the kid grew up on. I mean, like obviously his dad was in the band and he played in Van Halen, but it's like, you, you have your, you know, he was like, he went to Your middle flavor. school like everyone else. Right. He yeah. went to listen to like Jimmy Eat World and like, you know, Foo Fighters, like every other kid of that era, like you grew up, you're like, that's what you're into. So like, like you can't win, right? You're like, doesn't sound enough like Van Halen. Oh, you're living off your dad's name. It's like, just like, you can't exactly. win. Exactly. Exactly. There's always going to be somebody who doesn't like you, right. but not on this show, Greg, uh, loved having you on would love to have you on again and i'm I'm not kidding i'm gonna reach out to dennis wazak see if the four of us can come on and uh um, it'd be a pleasure I would, I would happily sit and talk about nothing but music for for a couple of hours with you guys that would be fantastic Great. Um, but again as i said at the top check them out van halen rising ted temple oh, music producer. check them out guys uh both well worth the read Greg Rainoff, uh, and and listen, Greg, I, I not not to not to, to 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 go too crazy with the praise, but really, I mean, you love history, you love music, yeah. you love the Jets. Right. That, as I said, telling my wife at the top, I said, oh, is, you know, he's a historian, and when I was the last time right. I did to London with a friend of ours, I'm sending him pictures of the, the George Orwell oh, pub and the that was the amazing. Yeah, I showed that I, now I, I showed that to my wife. She was like, I, I told her that I, I said bottle. I yeah. said he said to me, keep them coming. My wife loves this stuff too. Yeah. So history guy, love it. I actually the that there you can't see it because it's so dark. But that's a that to me a perfect poster. It's I forget which tour it was that GNR did. They had um every city they did. They did an individual poster for that city with a historical reference tied in with the band. Awesome. So that's that's the Boston Garden show with a Guns N' Roses skeleton riding a horse as Paul Revere carrying the lantern through <laughs> Boston. Yeah, exactly. And I saw awesome. that poster and, and actually my wife got it for me as a gift. She saw me admiring it because that was actually at a time I was reading one of the Revere books that I read. And I thought there's a Guns N' Roses Paul Revere poster like if ever there was yeah. a poster for me. Um, so great guest. Mate, one day we'll have you on just talk history. Like, love it. Great time. Um, Greg Rainoff, like I said, check him out, folks. Follow him on Twitter at Greg Rainoff. Uh, anything you want to add, Dylan, Greg? I was just going to say thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. I mean, not just the, the football aspect, but like Glenn said, the music aspect as well. It's nice to, sure. you know, talk about these things in the offseason when football is a little slow, although it's never really slow for the Jets. But right. we, we certainly appreciate it. Well, listen, when the Jets win the Super Bowl, we're going to have Guns N' Roses and, like, with Wolfgang Van opening at MetLife Stadium. We're just going to, like, parade. They're going to, wow. Axel's going to lead the parade right down Fifth <laughs> Avenue. Oh, man. If he doesn't break his foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't show up. You'll break his foot, Glenn. Come on. <laughs> hey, right. I appreciate you guys. This is Thank awesome. you so much. Again soon. For having Absolutely. Me. I really appreciate it. It was really fun. Absolutely, Greg. Take care. Yep. Take care. Take care. See you. See you. All right, there he goes. That's Greg Rainoff, everybody. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Rainoff, obviously. Uh, Van Halen historian, author. Uh, check out his book, Van Halen Rising and Ted Templeton. I'm going on Amazon right now to see if I can purchase both of them. So oh. any, last, uh, any last comments here before we get on out of here as you show the books one more time? Yeah, yeah, Ted Templeton. So this is, this is the more recent one, Life of a Music Producer. Produced some of the biggest bands and albums ever. And uh, Van Halen Rising talks about Van Halen starting from playing proms and backyard parties all the way up until, you know, being one of the biggest bands in the world. Yeah, that's awesome. And and I learned just in a little bit of research and trying to, you know, scrounge up some questions for Greg here. I just I came across so much cool information and, 
you know, I, I won't re- uh, forget when I was, you know, sitting in traffic on, on the highway in South Carolina and I saw the tweet from Wolfgang about his father passing and, and I was, you know, I'm bummed I'm sitting in traffic, but I throw on hot for teacher and I, you know, you just start jamming. So like, it just, it brings it all back. So it's nice to like, it's funny. We- I, I, I meant to mention that, um, to Greg that w- sort of one of my earliest memories, um, as a fan of music was, um, in, 1984 which was the album van halen put out at that time um and living i lived in california at the time it's funny i lived in so many places i do one show and mention like eight places i live people must think i'm lying oh there's glenn again another place he lived that was the time he lived in new mexico you know but no (laughs) i did i lived everywhere um but when i lived in um california and that album came out i think I, i was young enough yet that I I didn't quite understand why I liked the video so much, but I couldn't stop watching the video. I was like, what's go? This is really good. I don't know what's so good about it. Like I was seven. Um, but as you get older, you're like, oh, that's why I like that video so much. That's exactly but why that's we like the video. My earliest music memories is listening, listening to Hot for Teacher, but really watching the video for Hot for Teacher. Um, uh, but there's that, you know, that great when like when the lights go off and Eddie Van Halen is 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 leaning over and walking up and down the desks playing the guitar. Just epic video, great song, great band. Um, and yeah, I could I could seriously we could have him and Dennis on and, and do a six hour show talking about music. Seriously, and we, we're probably gonna have to get that uh relatively soon probably before camp if 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 we could that'd be great but all right we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up on that one for glenn you can follow him on twitter at jn radio underscore glenn you can follow his draft account at jets picks at jets p-i-c-k-s i've already seen tons of 2024 guys and as soon as we get off this and i eat dinner i'm going into some 2024 offensive lineman prospects so that's going to be fun so definitely be on the lookout for uh glenn's draft account Follow me on Twitter at D and follow jet nation on all social media platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, um, Instagram. And then uh, one last time, follow Greg Rainoff. If you're into the classic rock history, all that stuff, he's posting tons of great content on his Twitter at Greg Rainoff, Greg R E N O F F. That's going to do it for us uh, on this one. I think um, we do have a video coming out with Chris Schubert this week possibly um oh i was gonna yeah uh normally we would do tomorrow night we're not something's come up for me we were gonna do a show a little earlier in the day but we thought you know what there's not a ton to cover right now um yeah. we, you know we're not gonna talk about aaron Rodgers missing 10 minutes of practice with a sore calf so um yeah we're gonna we're gonna take a pass on a show this week uh so no friday show for me and chris cool so this will be the last one in your youtube feed or podcast feed for the week and i hope everybody has a happy memorial day and we'll catch you guys next week let's go jets Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.